My guest today is Andy Paul. Andy is the host of the Sales Enablement Podcast, formerly known as Accelerate Your Sales. He's also written two award-winning sales books, Zero Time Selling and Amp Up Your Sales. He has a third book that's about to be released called Sell Without Selling Out, which we get into in today's episode. Furthermore, Andy has ranked number eight on LinkedIn's list of top 50 global sales experts, and he's consulted some of the biggest companies on planet Earth. Those companies include Square, Philips, Grubhub, and many, many more. He is one of the leading voices in the sales industry today, and his thoughts and takes on the SaaS industry specifically were quite interesting. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I took a lot of lessons myself out of our discussion. Andy shared some great stories and some great insights and tips into how to be the best seller you can be. And not only do I recommend you check out his show, but take a look at his books as well. And uh, I hope you'll connect with him and follow him on LinkedIn. He puts out some fantastic content that I know I look forward to every single day. So without further ado, here's Andy. Hey, Andy, welcome to the show. Jesse, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, I was just telling you off air that I'm a big fan and consumer of your content. So well, when you. we got, yeah, when we got connected, I was over the moon uh, that we were, we were going to have a chance to talk today. So uh, yeah, I think a great place to start is tell us how you got into sales in the first place. And I was looking at your LinkedIn profile this morning and noticed that you have a degree in history from Stanford. So why, yeah, why, why are you not a tenured professor at one of the Ivy League colleges? And why are you down here in the trenches with us sellers? Because <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to do the other. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I, it's funny, you know, when I was interviewing for my first job out of school in sales and the guy that eventually hired me or the boss of the guy who eventually hired me, he was really hard to convince that, that he should, you know, take the chance on me because he had presumed that everybody from Stanford went on to become a lawyer or a doctor or something like that, or a professor. And, right. and I was like, no, <laughs> I just always wanted to go into business. Um, and he's like, well, but we only hire people out of undergraduate business degrees. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, <laughs> I think I can do this. So I had that's my first sales job, if you will, is, is with, on him to our first sales effort is to convince him that it's worth taking a chance on me. Nice. I, I imagine that having a degree in history, you learn how to write, you learn how to argue, if, uh, argue for a specific stance. Mm -hmm. uh, or make make a case for something, which is, I think, pretty critical in sales is being able to posture yourself and position your message. Uh, are there anything else or is there any other skills that you picked up from your undergraduate degree that you think are, are applicable to sell, uh, sales? Excuse me. Well, I think that that I went into history probably because I, I'm, yeah, I love to read, very curious, uh, sort of insatiably curious. And, and that really fed that, right? So I was just... Mm -hmm. It just seemed like a topic where I come in and yeah, I just loved, loved reading, uh, yeah. learning things, learning about, you know, other cultures. And, and so it just sort of seemed to be a natural and I'm, yeah, I wasn't coming up high school. I, you know, wasn't very good at math or, you know, compared to the really brilliant people that were at Stanford in that, that pursuit. So yeah, liberal arts sort of seemed to be my thing. 
Yeah. I've always said, you know, one of the most critical skills in sales is curiosity. And I think it's really underrated, really underrated. Uh, Not a lot of people think about that as being a critical, uh, you know, business skill, sales skill. Uh, But I think it's one of the things when, when people directly ask me, you know, hey, why do you think you're so good at what you do? Or how do you, you know, what is it that led you to this career that you have now? And I I always boil it down to, I'm really curious. And if you can get really curious about how a business works and functions and what problems Mm -hmm. they have and how you might solve the problems and how you might help the people that are trying to solve those problems, that's when you really start to have that formula for consistency and success and so forth. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. In fact, uh, mentioned before we went on there, like a new book coming out and we'll be yeah. announcing here shortly. And, and it's built around this idea that there are really only four in my belief after all the work I've done over the decades and sales and mm-hmm. yeah, working with thousands of sellers and is that there's really four core attributes you need to be consistently successful in sales. And that is, just, you know, in order is connection, curiosity, understanding and generosity. If you can develop your ability to connect with someone at a human level, to build the trust and credibility, bring your curiosity to bear, to to really dig in and understand what's most important to the person you're talking to with, truly understand that, bring your understanding to bear so you understand how can you really help them get that thing that they want that's important to them, and then deploy your generosity to bring them the value they need and the vision they need to see, oh yeah, this is, this is the best alternative for us. That's great. No, those are awesome. I'm going to write those down. Uh, I love guiding principles and I've, I've absorbed those from a lot of former managers who were immensely successful. And uh, I think those are a really good, you know, to, to sum up the four, uh, that's a great summary. And it's, it's the thing about these is, is that they, unlike the way most sellers are trained, which is, I, I like to draw a distinction. I call it the way most sellers are trained is to be salesy, right? They sort of call it salesy, right? And behaviors that are learned behaviors that buyers don't find valuable to them. Yeah. And if they're not valuable to the buyers, they're not valuable to you as a seller. So why do we continue to do it? And mm-hmm. so the, the opposite of that is rely on these innately human characteristics, your ability to connect with another person. We, we, we're wired to do that. We're wired to be connected. We're wired to be curious and interested in the world around us. Uh, we're wired to reach this level of, of empathy and understanding of another person to build on this relationship. And we're wired to be generous mm-hmm. as, as a species. And so the things that people say they don't like about sellers, that's not the way we are as people. Right. We learn how to do those things. It's time really to say, look, why don't we go back to what we were naturally built to do? And if we do that, then we'll work with our buyers in a way that they want and need us to. I want to dig into that a little bit. It's really interesting. What, what for, for a seller like myself, I've, I've been in the business for around a decade at this point. Sure. And, you know, even for someone with, with less experience, maybe they're two, three, four, five years into mm-hmm. their selling career. What are some ways that I could exercise that muscle and improve my ability there in terms of the human connection side of things and focusing on that as opposed to sort of the more traditional selling frameworks and best practices and do this and metrics and that? Like, what are some ways that I can implement uh, today to help me build that muscle? Well, think about what your perspective is when you, as a seller, when you think about what your job is. 
So if you're a seller and you think that your job consists of going out and talking to a buyer and persuading them to buy your product, you're gonna take one set of actions. If you believe your job is to go out and connect with the buyer and really listen to understand what's the most important thing to them, right? From a challenge standpoint, from a desired outcome standpoint, and then help them get that. Then you're gonna take a different set of actions. You're gonna have a different mindset about what your job is. And this is the second one is the job that is the real job of sales. Our job is not to persuade somebody to buy something, it's to help, help somebody understand what their problem is, mm-hmm. how they might potentially solve it. And then, oh yeah, we might be the right company to help you do that. Right, right. No, that's great. That's, that's super interesting. So, so going back to your first sales role, what was that like? Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you know that from that point on you were, or, or did you know at that point that you were going to stay in that profession uh, for the, you know, basically duration of your career up to this point? Well, I knew after, after a couple of months, I mean, so I was going to work for, at that time, it was the largest, second largest computer company in the world, a company called Burroughs. Mm-hmm. And we were selling uh, accounting computer systems to small, mid-sized businesses. And so these were not quite mainframe size, but I mean, they were by today's standards, pretty large pieces of equipment <laughs> with a full set of accounting applications, everything in the general wow. And so, yeah, my, my job was to I worked in the, I was based in Oakland in the East Bay area of San Francisco Bay area. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was out every day in the field making cold calls. Wow. And, and I'd find a local business park and park my car and, you know, troll door to door throughout huh. business parks, trying to uncover prospects. And so it was a, it was a great education in the sense that, that uh, yeah, I had this opportunity to talk to these CEOs, these business <laughs> founders, and l- deploy my curiosity to learn from them about business. You know, my, my customers basically taught me how to sell to them because wow. I was, and you know, I never reached this point where they thought, well, that's a stupid question because they knew I was sincere in my interest to learn about mm-hmm. the business and sincere in my interest to see if there's a way I could help them. And yeah, just sitting there being curious was such a great education. So for me, in terms of just understanding yeah. business and developing my own business acumen and, and learning through the experiences of these entrepreneurs that were successful, it was fantastic. Now, I almost didn't get to that point though, because two weeks after I've been in the office for two weeks, they sent us away to sales training class. So it was a sort of a national training center we all went to. And at the end of those two weeks, they send you back to your office with a sealed envelope from the, the instructor. And at that time, these companies, tech companies of that generation hired hundreds and thousands of new grads every year wow. with the express yeah. intent of weeding them out. I imagine very competitive. Yeah. And so when I come back from that first training class, I, you know, hand the assessment <laughs> to the evaluation to my, my uh, big boss. And he goes in his office and he reads and we're all sitting in a bullpen, a sales floor, open architecture. And he comes in and, you know, yeah, yeah. He says, Hey, come to my office. I said, sure. And I get to his office and he's, reading this the evaluation and and i can't really see what's what's happening so i asked me said so how do you think training went (laughs) and i thought oh trap question Uh uh 
I said, I thought it went well. He said, well, that's interesting. He said, because Jim, my instructor, Jim thinks we should fire you. Oh, man. <laughs> he thinks you're too analytical and you'll never be a good salesperson. Now, think about that. That was their frame of reference mm -hmm. was if you weren't the, hey, how you doing type, you right. know, extrovert, extrovert, salesy mm -hmm. person, you just weren't, you know, you didn't have sales DNA in their mind, which was just insane because some of the best sellers I ever met in my life were in that company, but this is how they were training people. And wow. so his recommendation was, yeah, get rid of this guy. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, they didn't. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one thing led to another and here I am. But wow. Yeah, you just think about sort of the stereotypes people have. That, that's been one of my most surprising conclusions, being in the industry as long as I have at this point, that, yeah, some of the best sellers that I've worked alongside are not, they, they were not the, the high school football quarterback. <laughs> they, they were maybe the artist uh, or the, you know, the piano player or, you know, something like that. Maybe the drama uh, club lead or something, but... Yeah. For the most part, I've been very surprised and I've, I've you know, been fortunate to interview several very top, you know, very elite performing SaaS right. reps oh, on the show. Yeah. My friend Brandon. Yeah, he, he, so he is the exact example that came into mind is he's a, you know, a writer, he's an artist, he's into music and uh, he's very introverted overall. Uh, and he, you know, he admits that loud and mm -hmm. proud <laughs> and he's one of the best performing sellers in the industry. So yeah. I think it's, it's so interesting. And, and I'm glad to see that. I think, you know, I think anyway, that the industry is starting to evolve uh, past the point of we only hire, you know, the extroverted personality, the, the high school college athlete persona. I think every sales team should have a, a healthy dose of those individuals as well. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm glad to hear that you made the cut and that you're given that, that second chance to, to prove that, you know, analytical ability is very important, especially in large enterprise sales, especially in tech sales. So that's a, a great story. Um, were you involved in the post-sale aspects of, cause I'm, I'm imagining, you know, these big on-premise implementations and things like that. Uh, were you involved in any of the post-sale activities or was it all just, you know, closing the, the big deals and walking away and, and letting the engineers take care of that part of it? At that, at that point in time, it was primarily, yeah, letting the, our version of what then was success, what we called customer service, let this customer mm -hmm. service uh, take care of it. Cause you know, the technology was, was uh, more rudimentary and uh, it wasn't quite as, plug and play as it is today yeah. uh yeah like doing demonstrations was always an, an exercise and uh, stress and anxiety because yeah. it wasn't about knowing the product it was huh, will it will, work will the equipment stay up long enough to <laughs> do the demo <laughs> yeah i've been i've been fortunate to work with a lot of sales leaders that came from you know i'll say that era uh, of sales where it was on site on premise and yeah, demoing wasn't quite as simple as opening up a, a browser tab and logging into a, a demo interface or a sandbox environment. It was very right. much a demo, uh, you know, kind of like demoing a Tesla or something, <laughs> you know, it was demoing a piece of hardware. So that's, I love that. It, and it was, uh, yeah, it was different, but it was, you actually used it to my advantage because one of the things I determined early on when it, at that stage of my career was yeah, I didn't really want to make 40 cold calls a day. And I thought there's got to be a better way to do this. So I did, I sort of relied on a sort of a mix of activities. So I did, I said, well, huh, 
another guy, my branch, an older guy, I've been doing this. And so what I did is I just held seminars in my branch every Wednesday. And what I do is I'd send 10 to 15 postcards. We'd get the business directory or Hoover's directory and write the address and send physically send 10 to 15 uh-huh. postcards via mail. And then I would call people relentlessly wow. and follow up. And I thought, gosh, out of those 15, if I could harvest two or three to come in every week reliably, and I would then demonstrate, you know, this, I was actually focusing on selling to the construction industry. So I had the software application, job cost accounting, and so on, specifically for the construction business. And I had a nice slick little demo that I came up with, and it was a great way to generate pipeline. Yeah. And yeah. Very reliable. And, and so the demo actually worked for me because then I could bring people in, see them face to face, that they felt more comfortable being in sort of a group setting, didn't think they were going to be you know, pitched heavily. And we just have a great discussion about you know, what their requirements were and how we could help them. That's great. I was reading a, a LinkedIn post of yours recently that talked about turning, you know, big failures into success stories. And the, the specific example you gave was you were at a startup that didn't work out. And I'd love to hear you tell that story. And, you know, it sounds like you turned it around. And after that, you landed somewhere that uh, ended up working out really well for you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what happened at the startup and, and what lessons can we who are in early startups learn from that experience? <laughs> well, this one was a little, a little different in the sense that it was it basically imploded. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I worked a number of startups. In this case, this was sort of the tail end of the uh, era where there are a ton of companies trying to develop next generation personal computers, PCs. Right. And yeah. The market basically decided, yeah, we don't need more more vendors in this space. <laughs> uh, was was really the bottom line, and so yeah, so I, I the company had imploded. They started letting people go, and and it was, you know, this time I just my wife and I had just purchased our first home, like you know, oh, four, before that, and and yeah, I come home on a Friday, I'm I'm out of work. So either that night or the next morning I was looking through Fortune magazine. I was again in, living in Palo Alto in Silicon Valley at that time and read this article about this company that was transforming the satellite communications business with these very small sized dishes for data transmission, replacing you know terrestrial telephone lines. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that sounds interesting. So on Monday I cold called him and managed to through several wow. phone calls, managed to get a, an interview with the VP of sales and went in, I don't know, maybe the next week or something. I can't remember exactly how long the interval was. But as it turned out, the guy I was interviewing with actually was somebody that had offered me a job four years before at another company. Oh, interesting. That, wow. that I hadn't taken just by, <laughs> just by sheer luck um, yeah. that he happened to be there. I had I didn't recognize the name when they said who I was doing meeting with and, and so on. And it was sort of things where we sat down and said like, wait, we know each other, don't we? <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, you offered me a job, which was interesting. He had offered me a job uh-huh. on the, with the stipulation that I not take it. Oh, interesting. So okay. this was back in the early days of, of the personal computer business. He has worked for this software company that, at the time owned, uh, had developed uh, the alternative operating system to the Apple on the Apple twos and threes at that time, dating yeah. myself here. And, 
And they had had a, a big, he was the VP of sales and they'd had an offer from IBM or one of the big companies to buy them and they turned it down. And oh, wow. he, says, he says, yeah, I'd love to have you come to work for me, but I'll offer you a job, but don't take it. And by the way, <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> and so just by wow. sheer luck, literally almost four years, almost four years to the day, uh, I run into him again. And, and uh, yeah, he turned out to be a wonderful mentor in my career, really taught me how to sell large accounts. Um, and it was a yeah, fantastic wow. mentor. That I love that story. Um, I've experienced at least one of those where I've, I've turned, you know, what 2019 for me was a really down year and mm -hmm. had a similar experience and, you know, was able to come back from that. And the last couple of years have been some of the best of my career. So uh, that, you know, I think is a good message out there to sellers is don't, don't throw in the towel just yet just because things feel like there's no way out of the, the dark pit, it, you know, you will bounce back. Uh, if you just keep playing the game, that's really the key is you've got to keep getting yourself up and playing the game and you'll, you'll get back to where you were. Well, it's, it's going to happen more than once. And so, yeah, yeah my, my career, I've sort of lost count, but I, you know, at one time I start counting, okay, the various chapters, <laughs> chapters in my career. Sure. That yeah, sent, there was yeah sort of a, a dip or you know some substantial change that took place, and yeah, you look at it as an opportunity to do something different, learn something new, uh, develop a new skill set. I mean, I you know haven't podcasted before 2015, and yeah, here we are yeah. at a thousand episodes. Um, wow. And it's wow. yeah, so had to learn everything I could about podcasting. And my son's been my business partner on this, so we've worked on it together. But um, oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know how to write books. I didn't know how to blog, didn't know how to build a social following. And, you know, we've done all those things. Um, so yeah, if you just look at them as opportunities and I, for me at various points in my career, it's like when I got that job in the satellite communications business, I had never sold to a major account wow. and a year I was, you know, routinely getting seven figure deals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it just sort of happened that way. Very interesting. Yeah. Great story. Hang in there. Um, I want to ask you because sure. I, you, you've got a great perspective on the industry, on selling salespeople and sort of the psychology that surrounds, uh, the, you know, the daily lives of us reps. Hmm. What, what are some big facepalm things that you're seeing out there today that reps are doing that you just cringe or, want to bang your head against your desk and say, why, why, or, or sales managers at that it doesn't have to be just reps. What are some practices out there that you're seeing that are just face palm, cringe, smash your head against the desk and frustration at the way that the industry still currently does business? Well, yeah. How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> yeah, we are our own worst enemy. And so you know, we talk about this idea of, you know, sellers, we don't like the the perception of us that buyers hold as sort of being uninformed, untrustworthy, pushy, what had clueless. Uh, and you know, there's studies that have shown CEOs report that oh, 20% of their the only 20% of their meetings with sellers have any sort of value to offer. Um, I think that was a Forrester or a Gartner study. And yeah, well, why is that? And I think yeah, it's again, it gets back to this this idea I talked about before is we approach the job with the wrong perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if you think your job is to convince somebody to buy your product, that's just the wrong approach. 
bad premise because to start out with. Yeah. Just to start out with. And so you're going to go down the wrong path. You're going to, you're going to pitch, you're going to sell before you really understand what the problem is. And buyers get that disconnect. Mm-hmm. Well, how can you be selling something who you don't even know what I need? Well, because for most sellers, the answer is, well, you need my product, regardless right. what your problem is. And, but if you, again, approach it with the fact that with the approach, the perspective of, I, I'm here to listen. I'm here to ask questions and really understand what's, what is the most important thing for you? And then say, okay, how can I help you get that? And that's my job. Help you get that thing that's most important to you. And if I do that, then I'm going to go in and, and I'm going to lead with questions because I want to, I want to understand. I want to, and through the questions may help you as a buyer, better understand what it is your challenges are, and also help you better understand what you might possibly ch- achieve by you know, meeting them and solving them. That's, that's, that's a whole different approach to it. Right. Yeah, we still right. seem to be focused on training people to do the first. So I'll listen to you know, recordings of calls and it's like, yeah, why are, we, why are you pitching first, right? Mm-hmm. Even if the customer asks you, well, what do you do? I would still say, well- Before I, before I say that, you know- Before, what before you I say that, would you, would you be open to me asking you a question? Yeah. Just like that. Would you be open to me asking a question? And people always say, well, sure. And so it's, it's just those, those things. Mm-hmm. And, and there's also this sort of body of people that's, you sort of see more and more. It's like if you're on LinkedIn, you spend time there saying, right. you know, this whole thing about connecting with another human being, building some sort of relationship with them. Yeah, you don't want to do that. And it's like, <laughs> you couldn't be more wrong. Right, right. People that say this are just flat out wrong because at the end of the day, people are still buying from you as a person. I mean, what do you think? Let's go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry to cut you off. Um, What do you think? Where do you think that notion comes from that that part of sales isn't important? Who, you know, is that from some book or training or is it just sort of a bad habit? I don't want to name names, but (laughs) but I think that I think what people who express that, what they're doing is they're playing to the audience. Mm -hmm. And you for maybe people of your generation and, and newer courts coming to sales, more digital natives, you haven't learned how to make those connections in the same way, right? You're, you're yeah. more messaging based. It's more asynchronous. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not your fault. It's just the way things are, right? But so we have mm-hmm. to be, we have to help people learn these things. Instead of telling them, oh, it's not important. It actually really is important. Yeah. And so and I, and there's, there's some people would want you to believe that, you know, I think Gartner has a report about millennial decision makers don't want to talk to sellers. Well, first of all, a buyer's never wanted to talk to a seller. I think in, the, in any generation, in, right? In yeah. the history of mankind. Um, <laughs> and so that's not new, but what the, what the buyers are saying is I really don't have time for you if you can't help me achieve what's most important to me. So if you can't yeah. contribute to that, I don't have time for you. And that's perfectly rational. Yeah. And yeah. so, but that's a pretty low bar because what you're saying to sellers is, look, you just have to be able to add more value than the content that's available on your website. You have to add value instead of taking away value. I mean, really, that's the bar is right. add something and just not nothing or don't detract either. Well, but it has to be more than what the customer can gather on their own. Right, right. If they can gather on their own. They don't. They don't need you, mm-hmm. but 
what at the end of the day, when someone's making a purchase decision, there's an element of risk associated with it to the company and to the decision maker. Mm -hmm. And the way they validate that is yes, they can get social proof from review sites and, and other places. But if you really want to feel more comfortable, you're going to want to talk to somebody. This is why people still go to retail stores. Still why the bulk of retail sales are in person. It's yep. because people, yeah, people want that, that validation. They're making a good decision. Mm-hmm. The guidance, so, the perspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now the, the range of products that people are comfortable buying without that has changed over time. And there's more expensive products. Sure. You can buy your Tesla without talking to someone. But yeah, and in the main, people still want to talk to people. And there's been studies done on this is that it depends on, you know, when things get really critical. And one of the first I think was, you know, using AI to, to help people make decisions about medical decisions about health is at the end of the day that people still want to talk to the doctors. Mm-hmm. Even though yep. the AI system may have given them better information in an ideal state, yeah, reassurance. And this happens in sales. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah, that that is so interesting that there's that vo- there's a voice out there that says that relationships aren't aren't part of of selling or they're not a key part of selling. I should say. Um, wh- what other uh, you know what other habits or practices do you see that you just cringe over? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think it's it's something back to what we talked about earlier: is people not being curious enough, mm-hmm. and and you have to be committed to being a lifelong continuous learner in sales, really in any profession, but we're, we're talking about sales is, is, you know, you can't ever get to that point where you think, yeah, I know everything. Mm-hmm. Cause as soon as you do, you start falling behind because yeah, there's no staying still. There's no staying still in business. There's no staying still in sales. Yeah. And yeah. That I think is another behavior that's that it it's under your control and it's there's never been easier to be exposed to content whether it's on LinkedIn or online training systems and mm-hmm. uh, and various other platforms podcasts it's it's like yeah just consume broadly and widely and be expose yourself to a lot of different things and say huh well that sort of makes sense to me that may work for me I'm gonna go try that. And just keep keep this experimentation going. And managers, especially managers, are a little insecure. They're not going to be always very comfortable with you experimenting and coloring outside the line. <laughs> but, yeah. but that is that is if you were to say, look, I'm going to go do a deep dive on you know the top sellers, including let's say Brandon Fluarty, where we talked about, mm-hmm. is we're going to do a deep dive on these people. It has one common thing that they all have in, in common, sorry, being redundant, but one thing they all have in common is mm-hmm. they broke the rules. <laughs> yeah. Colored outside of the lines, did things yeah. a little bit differently. And, uh, and managers yeah. should be encouraging that, not discouraging it. They should be encouraging mm-hmm. everybody to keep learning, to keep experimenting, to become the best version of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want you to be a clone of somebody else. I want you to be the best version of you because you've got unique strengths. You've got unique capabilities. How do I help you develop these? That's a really good point. And I, I wouldn't go as far as calling this a, a you know a facepalm or a cringe 
approach to sales, but I, I do get a lot of outreach that just isn't very human. It's, it's, you know, reps not seeking to understand, not, in, you know, infusing in their own personality to the process mm -hmm. and they're, you know, robotic or even worse, assumptive uh, about what my needs or wants are in, in my business. Okay. And that, that, you know, that's where it gets cringy, if you will, is the, the assumptive, you know, that assumptive approach of, because I've been working by a product. Yeah. I've been working at uh, XYZ SaaS company for six months. And I now know more about the, I don't know, DevOps industry than you do, Mr. or Mrs. DevOps buyer. <laughs> um, I do well, see that quite often. Sure. But it's, to your point, it's this assumption that, that you have a problem that can be answered by my product. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you really think about is, is, and I you know, alluded to this earlier, is that if you look at the way buyers go through the process, it's three stages. First stage is, what's our problem? It's the what stage, right? What is our problem? What are the outcomes we can achieve by solving this problem? The second stage is, well, how could we solve that problem? How could we achieve these desired outcomes? So we're gonna look for alternatives in the market. We're gonna see what's out there. This is where you as a seller start influencing the trade-offs the buyers make. The third order decision for buyers is who we're gonna buy from. So if you're going into the first interaction with the buyer, the what stage, and you're pitching your product, it's you're at a parallel path to the buyer. You're not intersecting with where they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, this is great stuff, very actionable. And um, I guess anything else that, that you see out there, uh, big pitfalls that, that you've noticed in the market? Well, I think that <laughs> this is one of my personal ones is that you have to commit yourself to winning a majority of your qualified opportunities. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, there's just uh, so many companies, especially in the SaaS world, that you think that a 20% win rate out of your most qualified opportunities in your pipeline is acceptable. And if practice makes perfect, the only thing you're practicing is losing. So right. you have to say, what do I need to do? Even if it's on your personal level and your personal sales process is what do I have to do to engineer this process so that I can win at least 50% of these most qualified opportunities I have in there. Otherwise, if you're losing them, if you're losing majority of them, what your buyers are telling you, because it's a referendum on, mm -hmm. on you, is what they're saying is, yeah, you're just not doing a very good job with with helping us understand why this will be of value to us. That is a really interesting take because yeah, I've heard that over and over again that, you know, 25% close rate is, is good in the SaaS industry. That's accept, you know, it's acceptable. It's commendable in some companies. And when you flip the, the perspective on that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you flip the, the perspective on it, it's like, well, wait a minute, that's 75% of your pipelines. Just not, it's just disappearing, evaporating, you know, not closing what does that mean? Yeah. And, and, oh, that's super interesting. So, so what are some ways that a rep can kind of take charge of that process in their pipeline and their career and start to measure their close rate and do some things to, to improve that percentage? Well, a lot of it comes back to, first of all, it's just this connection you build with the buyer. You know, have you built a connection based on credibility and trust? And the first, the first decision, or the first, really the first decision that most buyers make is 
whether they want to invest their time and attention in you in a meaningful way. If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. So Andy, you mentioned you have a, a book coming out here pretty yeah. soon. Tell us about that book, uh, what it's about, and uh, yeah, what, what, what can we learn about that? Yeah, so depending when this episode airs, so we'll probably have just announced that the book is coming. It's coming in February, 2022, but um, obviously we're, hopefully people want to pre-order it before then. So the book is titled, Sell Without Selling Out a guide to success Ooh. on your own terms and okay. book delves in some of the themes we've talked about in the show here today, which is look, we, there's, there's these, we have this reputation of sellers with buyers uh, that is, I'll say it's unfair, but not necessarily undeserved. And for our salesy behaviors and these salesy behaviors have no value to the buyers. They have no value for us really as sellers. So, Let's just stop doing them. And in its place, and to talk about this perspective about you know, what our job as a seller is, is our, our job as a seller says to listen, to understand what's the most important thing to the buyers and help them get that. And I contrast the two styles of selling. I call one selling out and one selling in. <laughs> and what you want to do is you want to sell in. And the four pillars of selling in are connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. And okay, cool. going, going to detail, hugely practical uh, takeaways and on all the pillars to help you sell in and help you be the type of buyer that, that your buyer needs and wants you to be. And to have, reach a level of fulfillment in the job you're doing mm -hmm. that you're not going to get selling out. And ultimately, that's what we all want in sales. We want to be consistently successful. We want to become the best version of ourselves that we can. We want to be able to help people. Uh, we want to have some degree of financial security. The way to do that is to lean into the, the human aspects of selling and these things that you have sort of direct control over. And in some cases, as I talk about in the book, is, is as a seller, it's going to be up to you to sort of grab autonomy hmm. in how you sell is is that yeah you know you're you have to push back from time to time on your bosses that say maybe you should do it this way or do it that way or do it this way and early in my career and i tell the story in the book is is i sort of developed a reputation of listening to boss and say you know why they say hey do it this way and saying hmm you know that's interesting i yeah. could do that, but let me think about it and it's like mm. Finally, one boss you know, sort of threw up their arms in frustration and said, 
don't you ever just say yes to anything? <laughs> and, and the answer was no, because yeah. this, is, this is my career. No one else cares about my career or cares about your career as much as you do. Right, right. That, that is a hard one. And that, that's one that I personally struggle with also is I tend to, to want to be, I, I hate to say yes, man, or, a, you know, someone who doesn't want to ruffle feathers. And so I find myself, if, if a manager gives advice saying, yep, I'm going to go try that and I'll, I'll, I'll just go do it. Cause I don't want to, I, I don't care to fight you on it. <laughs> so I'll just go try it whether it works or not. And I think that's, it's cool that there's, you know, a if, book it doesn't about work. That. if it doesn't work, and you don't hit your number or you lose a particular deal, who gets fired? Not right. them, you. Yeah. That's this is the... your career. You need to assume control over the choices that you make about how you sell. And yes, that may require some difficult conversations. Yes, you still have to be accountable for the results, but there's a much greater chance of you actually succeeding on a consistent basis if you feel good about how you're doing things. If you feel that the way you're selling aligns with who you are as a human being, your values, the way you look at life, the way you approach people. And so, yeah, the bottom line is, as an individual seller, no one cares. <laughs> I hate to say it. <laughs> yeah. No one cares as much as you do. And so don't let other people dictate completely how you're going to sell. Yes, you're going to operate within a framework. Yes, you're going to operate within the framework of a process or a playbook, but you have to experiment and say, what's going to work best for me? You know, people ask me, so, you know, what style am I? You know, my Sandler or spin and blah, 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 blah. I'm none of them and I'm all of them. Yeah. Right. I am the sum total of all the experiences I've had in sales that I've learned from that I decided to apply. And yeah, I'm just not one thing. And we're all different. All of us are individuals, much as our buyers are individuals. So this is the other important reason why you need to be the best version of yourself is that so you don't have these assumptions when you go in to talk to buyers. Oh, I read the persona about this buyer and I know that <laughs> in this industry, this is the way they're going to, these are things they like and the way they're going to answer these questions. And it's like, maybe they do. Yeah. But the fact is you're talking to a person who's one of you know, seven or 8 billion individuals in this world have their own unique perspective and outlook on how things do, you need to be prepared to have a very unique experience with them. Yeah. And if you can deliver that, if you can make that connection, if you can show them that you're curious about them, if you can make them feel understood, then you're going to win the deal. So true. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait for the book to come out. Uh, yeah, Andy, so the, yeah, the book is, is I, I, I love, I love this topic so much. I get carried away. Yes, the book <laughs> is, you go on Amazon anywhere. Uh, we've got some bonuses for people to uh, some exclusive events we'll have after the book is available that um, for people that pre-ordered to come and attend and, and hear me talk and ask me questions directly and some other great things that we're doing. So yeah, encourage people to, I said, go to where you buy books. Um, if you want to come to andypaul.com right now, mm -hmm. you can learn about what those bonuses are. And then uh, having learned that, then um, come back and tell us that you pre-ordered and we'll get you enrolled for those. That's excellent. And then uh, wh where can my listeners check out your podcast? 
wherever you listen to podcasts. So it's, <laughs> it's sales enablement with Andy Paul. But as we said before, I'm, I'm not a sales enablement person. It's, it's the title that was given to the show. Um, we do talk about enablement from time to time. But yeah, it's, it's really, it's a sales podcast um, on November 29th, our 1000th episode as wow. released. And yeah, the special guest for that will actually be somebody who'll be interviewing me. So we're going to sort of turn the mic around for that <laughs> show. And uh, yeah, so check out Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you connect with me, please do on LinkedIn, um, usual preamble stuff and real Andy Paul. And if you search me, you'll I'll probably be the first one to come up there. And to my listeners, I recommend giving him a follow. I follow his stuff. Uh, I love his takes on certain things. I think you're probably posting, is it every day? It seems like I see something. Sometimes multiple times a day, yeah. Multiple times a day. Uh, if you're looking for some quick hits just to, you know, get your head in the right space before you do some, some calls or before your next big pitch discovery call or demo, uh, definitely follow Andy. Andy, it's been so great having you on the show. Thank you so much for, for coming on, sharing your story and, uh, and giving us some perspective. Well, Jesse, thank you very much for having me on. You do a great job. All right, take care.